Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. It's a Thursday here on the Blog and the Boys podcast network, and of course that means it's time to get riled up here in the final week of the NFL season. Riled up on the Dallas Cowboys with your man Tom Ryle and your boy Roy White at RW3 on the Twitter sphere. You can find him at Tom Ryle BTB, and of course you can find all the great work here at Blogging the Boys at Blogging the Boys on Twitter, bloggingtheboys.com on Facebook, powered of course by our friends uh, at SB Nation there uh providing all this fantastic content for you regarding the dallas cowboys and tom we we finally made it we're about to enter that that time of year for cowboys fans it began a couple weeks ago but for football fans in general the pinnacle of the nfl season goes down this weekend boy uh i didn't think 27 years ago that it would take this long for me to not see the Cowboys in another one. But sure enough, that is where we stand, Tom, as it's the Cincinnati Bengals and the Los Angeles Rams. So one more team that had a longer drought than the Dallas Cowboys in the Super Bowl now getting to tack that, check that off the list in the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, it's, um, it's kind of sad that we're here, and now we have to con- – content ourselves with the uh, the next phase of football, the beginning of the football year, which is, of course, uh, Stephen Jones wrestling the salary cap. Mm. So, you know, we, we're already deep into that as he's uh, making his annual pronouncements that drive me absolutely insane. Mm. But a, the Cowboys... Stephen Jones' uh, proclamation, is there one in particular that has your, your ear? Um... Well, the one that always drives me crazy is his insisting that the salary cap is a hard cap, which is ludicrous. But yeah, you know, I think we both know that these these pointed comments he's made concerning Amari Cooper and Demarcus Lawrence just make you horribly uneasy. Um, I saw today somebody else throwing out that uh, Maybe Lael Collins is not that safe if they're looking to move on from cap space. I don't know. It's like talent-wise, Amari Cooper had a down year, but talent-wise, uh, I still think he's the best receiver they have when you look at the whole package. Uh, C.D. Lamb just hasn't reached the potential that we think he has. Uh, right now, Cooper is a, fit, uh, a better product. Um they seem to not be trying as hard to get him the ball as perhaps they should have. Uh, but, you know, he's very good. Uh, Demarcus Lawrence is, I think, 
probably your second best player on defense. If not, he's certainly no, no lower than third. And, um, you know, Micah Parsons is a unicorn. The other guy that would be competing in that area is Trayvon Diggs. And we don't know if Trayvon Diggs can sustain that year to year. Cause I put tank over Diggs. I put yeah, tank I, over Diggs. I do too. I do too. It's just in a discussion about him, uh, on the, uh, YouTube live stream that we do on Tuesday nights, uh, people were throwing him out there as possibly, you know, they might put him ahead of him. I, I, I'm like you, I think Lawrence is just a much more consistent player whose impact goes beyond the number of sacks he gets. He is constantly pressuring the quarterback and there are people that are getting cleanup sacks because he's got the quarterback moved out of position to where they can, uh, wrap him up. So, yeah, I, I just – a lot of work to be done. There's, I'm sure there's going to be some things in the coming weeks that uh, we'll be looking at to get a feel for how the year might start to go. But I'm not, I'm not happy when your de facto general manager is bad-mouthing his players. But Stephen Jones does that almost all the time. He, he did it with Dak Prescott in a sense that he wasn't talking about the talent. He was just talking about how much of a percent of the salary cap Dak was going to eat up. And that's like, why are you looking at it like that? The salary cap goes up. Um, the, the, the TV deals are rolling in. It just seemed to be getting bigger. Uh, and the streaming deals now that it looks like Amazon is going to be a, one of the main carriers for uh, some of the broadcasts. And I just, I don't get it. Uh, I don't know what they're trying to do. Uh, it, to me, it's the fact that they look at, they look too much at a balance sheet. Uh, when you're trying to run a football team and your first concern is how many dollars are you paying out to your players, then you're not going about it right. You know, find the good players, find a way to make the salary cap work. Stephen Jones is shown he can manipulate the salary cap. Maybe you can't get everybody you want because that's really the purpose of the salary cap to keep, uh, you know, one of them is to keep from concentrating a bunch of superstar players on one roster. But you can still get the a good core of players you need. The Cowboys have some work they need to do in that area. And I'm just as as usual for this time of year. I'm not real comfortable with the 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 words that they're saying. Sometimes that all kind of goes away. The Dak deal eventually worked out. All of the Cowboys wound up paying him a lot more money than they could have if they had just jumped on it earlier. Uh, you know, they could have had him for closer to thirty million a year, or at least thirty-five million a year, instead of forty million a year. So you know, you think eventually. Stephen Jones would learn, but sometimes when you're convinced you're the smartest guy in the room, you don't open yourself up to being smarter. And ultimately, when Cowboys fans have the conversation about what's really wrong with the Cowboys, inevitably that conversation comes back to the doorstep of Stephen and Jerry. So mm -hmm. I can see how Cowboys land out there would feel like this is the way that it's always going to be. And in fact, the walls, the, the obstacles that are provided by Jerry and Steven quite possibly are not overcomeable, right? And no one could unless 
you look at the team in the Super Bowl this weekend. That's right. It was it, this was all keyed by I saw a tweet from uh, the Twitter account called Cowboys underscore Fan Talk, and they pointed out the fact that the Cowboys don't have the worst owner GM situation in the league. It's the Cincinnati Bengals. Mike Brown, their owner, is the only other owner of the league who also reserves the general manager title to himself. I'm going to be honest, and perhaps this is common knowledge amongst amongst fans in general of the NFL. If it is, I am embarrassed to say I had no idea that the Bengals owner was also their GM. Well, he's not a media star the way Jerry Jones is. Uh, So he's not out there proclaiming uh, his role the way that uh, our the owner of the Cowboys does but Brown has he has a few traits in 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 concert with Jerry jo- Jerry and Stephen Jones because nowadays it's really kind of a mix of Jerry and Stephen with Stephen really doing most of the decision making um, but just like the Cowboys did with AT&T Stadium he really went in and strong-armed the local governments and everything into helping him get a new stadium bit for the Bengals. That was a quarter of a century ago, and he had promised them that he was going to bring a better, better product to the field. And lo and behold, they were the perennial team that would get to the playoffs and get bounced out, get bounced out in the first game they played. So they finally have made it despite that. Uh, now, there's a couple of differences. Uh, Brown has refused to do anything about getting them an indoor practice facility in Cincinnati, uh, which, you know, with the weather up there, you can understand how that's a bit of a problem. Um, the Cowboys certainly don't do it that way. Uh, you know, uh, he had a very poor scouting department for a long time. The Cowboys have really beefed up their scouting department in recent years. So they've kind of understood the importance of that. But one thing that they definitely are simpatico on is neither the Joneses or Brown will go after free agents, outside free agents. They don't want to spend money on high dollar, big names in free agency. That's very much the way the Cowboys have operated for years, especially the more Steven has become the, the loudest voice on that particular subject. And so you go, well, wait a minute. If they've got a worse general manager and they still manage to get to the Super Bowl, why can't the Cowboys do the same thing? And that's, that's what I think that we need to stop and realize. If the team gets it right, if the coaches can get in there and sometimes – dig their heels in a little more, which I think the Cowboys need to work on. They can push through that barrier and get to that promised land at the end of the season. And, and so I think that's a reason why we need to think that maybe the Cowboys are not the hopeless, never ending cycle of failure that everyone seems to think they are. And once again, you know, they got to 12 wins. Uh, Dak Prescott, had some very good numbers. He had some problems that I still think that that calf 
injury is that was worse of an issue for him than we realized. And as I've also have mentioned in the past, he just needs a real off season because he hasn't had one for two years. Uh, we, with the, uh, the intensive rehab work he did to be ready for the 2021 season. I think the guy's mentally and physically worn out and needs to recharge for a few months. I think that alone is going to make a difference in what we see on the field. But, you know, the Bengals just kind of rode roughshod through that stuff. They didn't have the free agents. They didn't, they have on paper, uh, a less talented roster than the Cowboys or the Rams have. And, uh, you know, they are the underdogs, but you know, that hasn't really hampered them so far in the playoffs. Cause I think they were the underdogs in the games they played so far, uh, in the playoffs and they yet, were, and here they are, they just kind of powered through it. Uh, yeah. Joe Burrow is having a, a special year, uh, as a second year quarterback himself coming off injury, getting the comeback player of the year award and all that stuff. But you know, I believe has that been official? I, I don't think that's official yet. I get lost in that stuff sometimes, but it's just I don't kind think of so. I hadn't heard that yet, at least. I think he's the betting favorite for it anyway. I uh, believe to that take it, to take it ahead of Dak Prescott. He's no, having a great he was year. He's, last week. He was named the 2021 comeback player of the year by the Pro Football Writers of America. Yeah, and so you know, they they have you know, a special talented quarterback, you know, certainly he is this year, um, but they don't have as much talent. They do have Jamar Chase, who's a huge weapon, uh, but they got a very poor offensive line and they certainly don't have the start studded defense that, that they're going to face against the Rams with people like Aaron Donald and Von Miller lining up across. So, you know, they're just kind of the, the, the little engine that could out of Ohio's. And I'm, I really think that we need to look at them as what can be done, um, you know, but it's going to take in particular, I think it, this comes down to, to Mike McCarthy is going to have to kind of bow up a little bit uh, because, and some of this is the conspiracy theorist in me, but I believe that things like keeping Ezekiel Elliott on the field and getting the majority of the touches from the running back position, the way he was used while he had a torn, I believe it was posterior cruciate ligament. He had a torn ligament. PCL. Yeah. PCL. Yeah. Uh, he had a torn ligament and having him out there still trying to carry the workload despite the injury. And you think that was Jones the, driven? Huh? You think that was Jones driven? I think that was coming down. There has clearly been a an influence on roster decisions, both how they construct it and how they, uh, I think, how they use them on the field. That's based on how much money the player is getting. The higher played players for Dallas are going to be on the field. That's just the way it has been. There isn't any great evidence that that doesn't happen of them benching you know a, a 20 million dollar a year player in favor of a three million dollar a year player they just don't operate that way their, their thing is 
we're paying them the money. So by gosh, they're going to go out and own it, earn it. And, uh, that's not the way you want to do it. And I think, I think that is where the Jones influence gets into the coaching staff. And Mike McCarthy needs to stand up and resist it. Just like I think uh, they need to stand up and take a stance for players like Amari Cooper and Demarcus Lawrence. Um, I, I, I'm fairly certain that if uh, they present it to Dan Quinn, that they don't want to keep Demarcus Lawrence because of the uh, cap issues that come with his contract, Dan Quinn will not hesitate at all to explain in less than polite language why that is wrong. And uh, that is what I think we need to see from the staff. They need to stand up. Uh, as we were mentioning, this is kind of a ride or die year for Mike McCarthy. Uh, I think if the Cowboys have another flop at the end of the season next year, that he will not see the fourth year of his contract. And when you're in that situation, it's a little easier to not listen to the owner because you're going to do what you think will get you the most wins because that's the one thing that trumps everything else. If you can, if, if McCarthy takes the Cowboys into the playoffs and wins a couple of games in the playoffs, and he doesn't make it all the way to the Super Bowl, if he can get to the conference championship game, I think his, his job is safe. Because that would be definite, a definite step forward for the Cowboys. They haven't been to the conference championship game in a quarter of a century. That says, okay, I can accomplish something that the rest of these guys before me, since Barry Switzer, which is an odd thing to say, but the rest of the guys since him have not been able to do this. I did it. You know, how do you justify parting ways with a guy like that? Yeah, when I initially heard the rumors regarding Sean Payton's potential availability and all those things, I really did feel Super Bowl or bust, but you make a compelling argument that an NFC championship game would probably be enough to preserve Mike McCarthy here in Dallas for a, a final ride, right? And at that point, it, it truly would be Super Bowl or bust if that's the way that it turned out. I do want to go back to for a quick second though, regarding the, you know, the, the differences and the similarities between the Joneses and, and Mike Brown over there in Cincinnati. Ultimately, what you pointed out near the end is that the Joneses are going to bring their own influence into the conversation, both from a personnel standpoint, from a financial management standpoint. And then the last part that we didn't really mention, which is that they will also bring it from a media circus standpoint. Mike Brown... Yeah. We did not, at least I did not really know he was the GM of the team officially because he doesn't ever get out in public and speak about it. Or if he has, no one has ever really paid enough attention to relay that nationally. Whereas Jerry speaks on it every day or every week of the NFL season. And so does his son. And in fact, each of them speak not once, but twice during the week about those mm -hmm. particular situations and those ideas. So while I can see the argument that, hey, the Cowboys can overcome it because the Bengals did, what I would argue back is that the Cowboys have more to overcome in that regard than did the Bengals, right? Even more than did the Bengals. While 
you made several good points that the Bengals had their own obstacles to overcome, right? Not as good of an offensive line, personnel department, not as strong as what the Cowboys did. I might still say what the Cowboys have to overcome now, today, is more substantial, um, especially if they actually consider getting rid of Amari Cooper and, and Demarcus Lawrence, which I would also agree with you would be a bad move, uh, both offensively and defensively, right? DVOA specifically would suffer as a result of the loss of those two players. Looking at this Super Bowl matchup, Bengals and Rams, another key point that I, that I always like to go to is how do we look at this game from a Cowboys fan standpoint, right? And mm-hmm. in most cases, we've kind of got a rooting interest. In years past, at least, uh, you know, a season ago, I found myself rooting for the Chiefs because, gosh darn it, I didn't want to see Tom Brady win another ring in the (laughs) NFC, just make it look that easy, right? But in this contest, it's hard to really find a villain or a team to root against. So you find yourself asking, you know, who should Cowboys fans root for? I asked you before, you know, we started this, whether or not Cowboys fans should have any type of rooting interest. And you gave me, I thought, was an interesting answer, at least as to your own rooting interest in this contest. Yeah. Um, well, most people seem to be pulling for the Bengals because they're the fun underdog story. Uh, and so a lot of people, people in situations like this where they're truly neutral tend to pull for the underdog. And that's kind of what I think is going on, which shows that most Cowboys fans really don't have a real emotional tie to this. But I'm looking for the Rams to win because I've long pushed the idea, supported the idea. It's certainly not original with me, but one player does not determine the success or failure of a team. It's, where a player fits and the Rams are such a great example of that because Matthew Stafford was stuck in Detroit with generally bad supporting casts. Now he, you know, he did have, uh, you know, you know, one or two really good players, but most of the rest of the players around him were not good. And so the lions just struggled for a long time. Uh, you know, he had uh, it's Calvin Johnson. That was yeah, we all say Calvin Johnson, but the next best receiver he probably played with was Marvin Jones. Yeah, and so, you know, that was one good receiver and not much else to go around. Then they, they the, the trade got pulled. The, the Rams went hard, paid a high price for him, and also got rid of Jared Goff, uh, plugged Matthew Stafford in, and bang, they're in the Super Bowl. Uh Stafford hasn't changed from who he was. He just suddenly is with a better coach, another great receiver, but the number two and number three receivers are considerably better. Uh, You know, he's got a fantastic defense to support him when he's sitting on the sidelines trying to get back out there. And, you know, Sean McVay has done a great job. And that's, that to me says that, yeah, he is a key part, but he was never going to lift the Detroit team from where they were. He doesn't have to lift 
the Los Angeles team. He's just that extra bit of horsepower that they needed. And now they have, and you know, he's one game away from maybe hosting, hoisting a Super Bowl MVP trophy, because we know it almost always goes to the winning quarterback. Um, although his biggest competition may be Cooper cup, um, if he lights it up out there. So, uh, Nonetheless, this is a vindication of Stafford's talent. Uh, but also, I think it just really shows that you have to look at the whole picture for a team and that, you know, one guy can't win it by himself. It takes 11 men on a field, both sides of the ball and on special teams to get the job done, along with the coaches to put them in a position to succeed. And so to me, the Rams winning kind of proves my point there. Then there's also the small thing that Stafford's the Texas boy. And, you know, I'd love to see the, the Texas quarterback succeeding in the NFL. Well, that's interesting because I agree with you. I mean, Stafford obviously wasn't, you know, thought of as even a top five quarterback, I don't think, around the NFL last season. So when this trade went down, there were a lot of people saying that maybe the Lions won this trade. They got two first-round picks and a third-rounder in addition to Jared Goff. Now, granted, Goff wasn't you know a piece of that. Really, you, you, you like the fact that they got Goff because he was guaranteed to make them terrible, right? So you knew they were <laughs> going to have their own high draft pick. But what you kind of didn't expect was that the Rams would be giving them pick 32 for maybe the next two seasons, right? At least yeah. next season, that may be the case. And if that winds up being the case, then the Rams absolutely fleeced the Lions in this deal by giving up two first rounders to do it. I know that, you know, the Cowboys may not necessarily be looking to upgrade the quarterback position. So maybe two first rounders and a player is not an option. But is there a deal out there? Is there an individual player out there that the Cowboys could target in a blockbuster trade such as this that could be that Stafford-like piece, be it offensively or defensively, that puts the Cowboys over the top? Because the Rams, a season ago, correct me if I'm wrong, were in this exact same position that the Cowboys were this season, playing well, having a good year, and ultimately flailing in the first or second round of the NFL playoffs and finding out that they didn't quite have enough. Yeah. I just don't see that because the Cowboys have too many roster holes to fill. And on top of that, they are, as we mentioned, possibly creating more roster holes if they release uh, players like Cooper or Lawrence or, or, or some others because they have to get under the salary cap. Uh, they can handle the salary cap just through restructuring if they want to. Uh, Stephen Jones, for some reason, seems to be making a lot of noise about not kicking that can down the road, but he's done it. Year after year after year, the Cowboys have been living off of this. Uh, they had a little bit of a glitch back when this, the salary cap actually dropped some because of all of the, the issues going on with COVID and revenues, uh, that they were losing so much from in-person attendance at the games that they, they actually saw the salary cap regress 
for a year, but that's gone away now. And there are television deals just rolling in, big television deals. And so I just can't see that that's a true issue uh, for them unless they just want to make it an issue in their minds, which as far as I can tell, seems to be exactly what Stephen Jones is doing. He's building this up. He's, he's creating the argument so that when he makes uh, uh, some move that just thoroughly upsets the, the fan base, he can say, but see, I told you we had to do this. And, you know, it's, that's like, uh, you know, you go out and you create the problem and then you try to take credit for having come up with the solution you were forced into doing. Well, you know, it's, I'm not buying it. I think the Cowboys should restructure uh, get enough uh, cap space to re-sign some of their own key free agents because, you know, they, they've got Randy Gregory, they've got Dalton Schultz, they've got, uh, you know, they, they, they could probably try to figure out if they're going to bring back Michael Gallup or Cedric Wilson Jr., depending on how Gallup's uh, recovery from the surgery goes, or if they just don't want to take the risk on the fact that he's having surgery to, to repair his uh, knee. So I don't know what to say. Uh, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me uh, if, if for them to not take care of some of these players. There's too many, too many names out there. And there's probably some lower cost ones, maybe like Brent Urban, uh, you know, or, uh, you know, they might want to look at uh, Brian Anger. You know, he's a great punter. They're almost certainly going to want to try to bring back Jake McQuaid because long snappers basically get the vet minimum. And so, uh, you know, they might want to look at Carlos Watkins, who is fairly serviceable, a little bit under, underrated. Um, if they, you know, if they can't work something out with, uh, with Randy Gregory, they should maybe be looking at bringing Dorrance Armstrong back because he's at least capable out there. So, you know, the Cowboys don't have one thing. They've got a bunch of things they got to work out. And that's my thing. I don't see a blockbuster trade being of any value to them in, in getting ahead for this year. They've got too many other things that they can do that, frankly, are not going to cost them draft picks. Well, you mentioned a pair of players that you're concerned about being chatted up by Cowboys brass, and I'm going to throw a third into the mix. I want you to give me your confidence level, one being the least confident, 10 being the most confident that they will be a Dallas Cowboy in 2022. Amari Cooper. Oh, man. I just I don't know how much to believe Stephen Jones because he's flapped his gums before and hadn't been true. Um, I'm going to say about an eight for him. I'm right. That's the exact number I had is an eight. I, for Amari's sake, I know he had a down year. And make no mistake, what Amari had was a bad year. All right, mm-hmm. 865 yards for a wide receiver that – prior to this season, had only one time failed to reach 1,000 yards in his career. At the age of 27, seemingly in his prime as a wide receiver, that was a bad year for Amari Cooper. Having Mm -hmm. said all that, I think the Cowboys would be nutso to let him walk this season when, as you stated, he is still arguably, if not really 
unarguably the most talented wide receiver and most dependable wide receiver that you have on the roster because CD lamb did not prove to be that this past season, despite his numbers being slightly better than Amari's. There were many instances where I felt like CD could not be trusted in the biggest moments of the game. And sure enough, he did kind of, you know, relinquish that potential trust. I would still say run it back with Amari Cooper. I'm right there with you on this scale at an eight. Demarcus Lawrence. I'm a little bit higher on him, mainly because I, I Dan Quinn has said some things about him that indicates to me that Dan Quinn has a tremendous faith in him. I'm maybe I'd say 8.5. You're higher a on bit him. more than Amari. Yeah, I'm lower on him. I'm uh I'm at about a six. And hmm. it's not because I don't think he's as impactful as he is, because I do. And I think if Dan Quinn does get to have a say in that room, he will argue vehemently in Demarcus Lawrence's favor. But Tank, from a numbers perspective, has not put up those shiny statistics that typically lend themselves for guys making his type of money. And while I agree, he does make plays that don't always show up on, you know, on the stat sheet, right? Mm-hmm. Splash plays where either you draw a penalty to stop a drive or you push a, a quarterback into another player who winds up getting the sack, but it was really your pressure that forced him out of the pocket, right? I believe Tank does all of those things, but at the same time, he's not on the sexy side of the ball, number one. And I think that is a factor that plays into the Joneses' minds when they decide about how they're going to manage the cap. And number two, you know, if they get rid of him, they can very easily get into the good graces of Cowboys fans immediately by using that money to sign Randy Gregory. And if you sign Randy Gregory for less than what you were paying Tank because of whatever reasons might be there, right, whether it's off the field issues, whether it's past instances, whether it's the last couple of games for Randy, whether he – where he was tackling guys on the offense and drawing flags for doing so that sticks in people's minds. I think it is possible that they could get Randy on a cheaper deal than what they're paying tank now. And if that's a possibility, I think it's on the table that tank is no longer here. So I'm still, I'm still on the side that says he's back, but I'm at a six. And yeah, I hate that. I hate that you have a logical and well reason reason for saying that. I appreciate you saying so last name. <laughs> Lyle Collins. I'm, I actually think if they think that they've got someone in Terrence Steele and that Tyron Smith is going to be able to go another year without missing a lot of time, because it seems like he's always going to miss a couple, three games. I would say that to him, he to me is about a six. And that's because I think they feel like they have a guy under contract that can go in and play well enough that if they can maybe pick up uh, someone to shore up the guard position in the draft or get a tackle of the future, I could see them rolling without him. 
it's crazy to think that, I mean, he signed a five-year deal. He's only going into his third season of this contract, but the Cowboys can save almost $14 million, right? Is that right? Mm -hmm. That seems absurd. And for that reason, he's actually the one I'm least confident about. I think that's like a three right now that he's going to be back with the Cowboys, which means I lean on the side that I think he's probably gone. Again, it's just a, it's, it's a group that they're going to look to upgrade significantly in the draft. So I could see themselves waiting until after that point to really make the move. But ultimately, you know, I think the, the opportunity to make that decision will be there for them. And I don't think it's one that they would have as much pushback on as potentially they would with the other two, right? Amari and Tank. If they oh, definitely did, they would. Right. Yeah, I was going to say definitely there'd be less pushback because there's a lot of the, the fan base that is not that thrilled with Lyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, it's um, it's a, it's crazy to think as an undrafted player, he's absolutely outlived, you know, and outplayed his contract. But from the standpoint that he was once a first round pedigreed player, um, mm-hmm. it seems like a little bit of a lapse. And we've said that before on the podcast, so I don't mean to belabor that point or pile on Lyle Collins. It's just, it is what it is there. So. Uh, any other thoughts or items we wanted to get to? I think there was one more newsy thing that came out this week, which really, I guess, shocking. Uh, Michael yeah. Parsons played the entire season on an injured knee. What does that man look yeah. like when he's healthy? Yeah, that's the scary thought. He, uh, the, the story is that he, he, in an interview, he revealed that in the preseason game against the Rams, he hyperextended one of his knees. And the only thing you can do for a hyperextended knee really is rest it. And he didn't get to rest it. He just went out there and played all season and was setting records. Can you imagine if he gets into the uh, 2022 season fully healthy out there? There's another reason why they might be willing to part with uh, Demarcus Lawrence or not bring Randy Gregory back because they could use Parsons in a heavy pass rushing role and prosper because he was so good at it. You know, I could see him uh, using him in the the traditional linebacker role on first down, uh, you know, the typical running down, uh, maybe some second downs when it's more likely for a run than a a pass and then switching on, on third and uh, obvious passing down situations, put him out there rushing the quarterback. Yeah, I could see him doing that. And and I think to think that he might be healthier and more effective and faster. Whoo. I want to leave you with a thought that because it'll tie back to how we started this whole thing, right? The Joneses and their influence on this. Will the Joneses continue? Well, maybe they're not even forcing this, right? Because as a weapon, he is so versatile that I still want to see him play both positions, right? But is it it in the back of Steven's mind somewhere 
that they want to see him play just as many snaps, if not a few more at linebacker, as opposed to defensive end, so that when it comes time for the end of his contract to franchise tag him, <laughs> they can do so as a linebacker and not as a defensive lineman. Are they thinking that put, far ahead? I don't put that past uh, Stephen Jones. In I, I don't either. I, I don't either, and that's why I bring it up. Yeah, I don't think it would be the wise thing. You want to use him wherever you need him the worst on any given play. And uh, that's that's the only thing I can say about that. I just uh, – it staggers my mind – staggers me that, yeah, I can see that happening, but I think it's – we've seen that kind of game played elsewhere in the NFL before. Mm-hmm. Well, these are the types of obstacles – you have to talk about when you're a Cowboys fan. It's not what any other franchise is dealing with. And unfortunately we've been dealing with it for 27 now guaranteed to be going on 28 years as we wind down another fantastic NFL season. So this time next week's Tom, no more football to look forward to. Of course, you can always get that great content, those fantastic daily podcasts there at bloggingtheboys.com. So make sure you subscribe to all the podcasts that we put out on a daily basis. And again, it'll just be a short little break as we take a rest for the off season as well. You know, we got to rest our arms up. We got to rest our calves up a little bit as well. So hopefully you will be doing the same, but for Tom, I'm Roy stay riled up on the Dallas Cowboys and we'll see you next Thursday.